You're listening to a Los Angeles Sports Nation production, enhancing your Los Angeles sports fan experience. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to the Mob Squad Pod. This is episode 10. We finally hit double digits. Uh, we haven't been around for a couple weeks. We took a little bit of a break there. Um, with everything going on, it seemed like it was just bad timing to do a podcast and everything. There's more important things going on. So we're back now, though. This is episode 10, and we've got a very special guest with us this week. We're going to be talking with Jordan Rodriguez. Hopefully I pronounced your last name right. You were so close. Uh, it's just a hard G, so Rodrigue, but you were really close. Oh, okay. So she is with The Athletic. She's actually going to be covering the Los Angeles Rams now. Um, so she's been gracious enough to give us a little bit of her time. So we're going to ask her some questions about the Rams and maybe some questions about the NFL. Um, Jordan, before we start just peppering you with questions, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I Googled you because, of course, that's what Google's for, right? Uh, <laughs> and it looks like you grew up in the Phoenix area. You lived briefly in L.A. and spent some time in Seattle, where me and Aaron are, actually. Um, went to Penn State, graduated from Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. No big deal. Uh, and you've been covering the NFL for the past four seasons for the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, so uh, my my journey is quite a zigzag across the country, and I've, I've been really grateful for, for all my stops that I've, I've had so far. And um, I did grow up in Phoenix, and I went to college at Arizona State, the Walter Cronkite School. And um, then my first job out of college, well, before that, I did live in L.A. for a summer. I had an internship out there and um, just fell in love with the city and um, it, it was just it was so mesmerizing to me just all the voices and all the culture. And it just was really cool for me to experience that. And my first job out of college was up in Seattle. I worked for the Seattle storm, uh, shout out Sue bird. And oh, nice. it, yep. it rocked. I mean, let's be honest, it rocked hard, like working, working for a team like that and um, getting to cover one of my, my childhood heroes. I, I was an in-house reporter for them. So it was, it was really cool. And then from there, I moved back down to Phoenix, my hometown, um, and I was trying to get my foot in the door any way I could, cause I knew I wanted to be a beat writer. I had no idea. And I, you know, I'm always so tickled by this is I had no idea I was going to be an NFL beat writer. I had no interest in it and I wanted to cover college football for the rest of my life. That's my first love. And I was trying to put my foot in the door anywhere I could. And, and there was one local paper in Arizona and in, in Phoenix and it wasn't hiring. And so I just, I worked so many different jobs, trying to get clips out, trying to do freelance work and um, part-time and then like pay my rent also. <laughs> and so, yeah, kind of important yeah, too. That's important. And so that was scary. And I, I just sent, I must've sent out like 200 resumes in the span of, of eight months. And this guy out in State College, Pennsylvania, which is the home of Penn State, uh, he was a big March Madness fan and I covered a, another U of A basketball loss to Wisconsin in the elite eight in, in the, the March madness tournament. And he was, he, I wrote a column about um, one of the, one of the kids who was graduating and he was like bursting into tears on the court. And uh, the editor called me and said, Hey, I, I noticed you sent me your resume a couple weeks ago. Uh, sorry. I hadn't looked at it yet. <laughs> and, and I was like, thanks man. And then, um, 
he uh, and then he asked me if I was interested in in coming to cover Penn State football. And before he could even finish his sentence, I was packing my car. So, um, nice. yeah, I got I got That's out awesome. there. Penn State, as people who who know who went there know, uh, it's the college and then it's Amish country all around surrounding. And so it was wild, totally different for me. I had never seen snow before, um, and so it was just a it was a wild experience. It was. A chaotic time in that program's history. So I learned a lot, not just about, um, you know, covering football, covering a football beat, but also all of the legal fallout and covering courts and news and, and really, you know, we say hard news as in sort of the nitty gritty of what news is, but it was also truly emotionally hard news. I'm, I'm, I'm in testimony of all this, these awful things and um, reading, you know, pages and pages of these awful things that people went through. And so um, I learned a lot. It taught me a lot uh, about covering a beat, uh, all the different nuances that it presents. And then a couple years later, the same editor, um, perhaps making up for the fact that he did not really look at my resume the first time around, um, he kind of came shuffling over to my, my cubicle in the newsroom and his, his head was hung real low. And I was like, what's up, John? And he goes, I don't want to tell you about this, but there's a job that's opened up at one of our sister papers in Charlotte. And I think you should apply for it, but I don't want to tell you about it. And so it was uh, the Carolina <laughs> Panthers. Really cool of him to do, by the way. It was the Carolina Panthers beat reporting job for the Charlotte Observer. And um, I, I, of course, applied thinking, you know, pardon, but pardon my language, but I was like, what the hell? I'll just apply. And so um, it ended up turning into an offer. And once again, I packed up my car and started covering the NFL. And um, four seasons later, I was with The Athletic. And then The Athletic kind of presented me with this incredible opportunity to come out and, and cover the Rams. And I have long been fascinated by the Rams, not just as a franchise growing up sort of adjacent to them. Um, then they left and came back. And, and then also, um, you know, the Sean McVay era, era when he took over, I, I've studied him for a long time and been very fascinated by his process and sort of his design and, and all of these create creative things he does um, within the lines. And so I was really excited because everywhere I, I go, I, I want to learn uh, from the people around me and, and kind of explain and present that to the people that read me. And so what better way uh, than one of the brightest coaches in the game? Yeah. Well, uh, again, thanks for joining us. I think this will be a, a good time. So we'll start uh, peppering you with some Rams questions. Aaron, I'll go ahead and let you start what you got first. Yeah. Uh, thanks again, Jordan. We we do really appreciate you uh, joining our, our podcast here today. But um, I wanted to touch first on the Rams new logos and uniforms. Um, I know you're getting new to Rams Nation here, but I read some of your articles and it seems like you've already touched base a little bit on this. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so uh, so new logos were released in March. The first logo I saw was the, it was a logo with the LA written out in white and it has the A that kind of morphs from uh, this yellow Rams horn that wraps around and basically engulfs the LA. Mm -hmm. When I saw this, I immediately thought to myself, Oh, why are they showing me the Chargers logo? I, as embarrassing as it might sound, it actually took my brain a few moments to register. That's actually a Rams horn and not a Chargers lightning bolt. Uh, but as I kind of stewed over this, I was reading through a few other articles about some of the fans' reactions 
uh, to the logo. See, you know, maybe my opinion was I wasn't alone with it. Uh, and I did happen to find this one article uh, from New York Times. It was written by Victor Mathers. And in the article, he mentioned the new logo's resemblance to an Angelo State University's logo. This is a Division II university out of Texas. Uh, I don't know if you've seen their logo. If you haven't, you should take a look because there's a lot of similarities. Um, but moving on from there, I then saw that the Rams had another logo, which I think they're referring to as the, the head logo. Uh, and to me, it basically looks kind of like a poorly graf- uh, crafted Rams head. Uh, the head itself is white. The horns are yellow. When I look at the logo, it lacks character. It feels very uninteresting, dry. Uh, in my opinion, it really has no intimidation factor whatsoever. Um, if it's not apparent, I'm not a big fan of the new logo. <laughs> uh, but, then ju- <laughs> but then jumping ahead uh, in May, the new uniforms are released. So after seeing the logos, I really had zero expectations for the uniforms, <laughs> which I'm happy because the new uniforms didn't really impress me either. Uh, I'm not going to dig too, te- uh, too deep into them. Uh, I did read your article, like I said. Uh, your article was titled, Love or Hate Them? You Should Know the Inside Details of the Rams' New Uniforms. I thought your article was very well written and very informative. Um, you know, after reading the article, I certainly was able to understand more of the background and creative thinking the designers put forth with the design features of each uniform. Um, so thank you for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, there's one. The best oh, go ahead. Honestly, when I got all the comments, so I, I knew not to, sorry to interrupt you, but I knew yeah. that coming in, the logo was a, a, a sort of a sore point for the fan base. And, and I absolutely understood. So I wanted to be sensitive to that, but the best compliment that I got like in the comment sections and all this was like well I still hate the uniforms but nice article (laughs) (laughs) absolutely I thought it was great yeah (laughs) I thought it was great there was one feature um you pointed out that kind of stood out to me the most um it was the back of neck label and uh I thought kind of the inventive or the, the metaphorical message behind it uh, so you noted in your article that the designers had added this feature because they wanted the players to carry Los Angeles on their backs wherever they went. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so that to kind of wrap that up, I, I guess I'll kind of jump into the question. Uh, I mean, first off, I'm, I'm curious on your opinion, if you like the new uniforms and logo. And also, we got some of the players like Robert Woods, Jared Goff, Cooper Cup, that have really expressed, hey, we really like these new new logos, these uniforms. Um, do you think they really do? Or do you think it's kind of, hey, we're directing you guys to say you really like this <laughs> so we can start selling some merchandise? Yeah, that's a fair question. Well, both of them are very fair questions. So the first one, um, it's interesting because the impressions – that or the the sort of viewpoint that I have um, just through sort of just experiences in, in covering the in the league is like it's so they're a little weird in terms of what I look for in a uniform. So like what I mean by that is when we travel, 
um, and cover these games. And, and I did, I did get to cover a Coliseum game. So that was very cool, by the way. Um, I bet. this was back in 16. Yeah, it was awesome. awesome. Um, it was Jeff Fisher, but otherwise it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah besides that. Um, yeah. yeah. Besides that. Um, so, um, it was what I, what I always think about, and this is, I know this is going to make me sound so weird, but I always think about, God, I really hope I can see the numbers from the press box. Right. Because yeah. For me, um, a lot of times now, stadiums and, and owners are building these new stadiums, and the press box is sort of this afterthought. Whereas it, they used to be, um, you know, ten rows up and on the fifty-yard line, so that because there wasn't such a clear broadcast, so it became so much more important for the teams to have these great media setups, so that media could see very clearly what was happening because there was not a clear broadcast. It was very fuzzy um, or black and white, or even, you know, it, as, as late as the 2000s, it just was grainy. And so the, now that there's such a clear broadcast and there's really no issue in, in replaying or seeing what's going on or, or different or recording stats even because you can replay everything, um, they're moving, owners are realizing, if hey, if we move these great 50-yard line, you know, three, 10 rows up, glass seats um we can sell those <laughs> so they're yep. moving they're moving people up into the rafters and so for me uh it's really i know this is weird and thank you for indulging me on this tangent but um <laughs> i always am like okay first and foremost can i see these from if i am located in outer space can i see them <laughs> and so and i think about you know all the games i covered in new orleans they put you up in the superdome up in the rafters and and you literally need binoculars to actually make out the numbers on the players jerseys so with oh, these wow. I, with these i was like okay the first thing i thought of when i saw them was i will have no issue seeing these <laughs> <laughs> no you won't and yeah. take that however you want to take it but <laughs> i will the first thing I thought of was I was like, all right, you can put me up on the satellite and I will see these. So um, that was my first impression. And then as, as far as the players go, um, oh, and by the way, I did really appreciate learning the details because as, as much as they are a little bit of a shock to the system, I think when you first see them, it is cool hearing about how much, how much effort goes into them and, and the teams of people that, that study them and think about them. And so um, that was neat that they let us in on that. But as far as the players go, um, actually, it was interesting. You know, we, we spoke with Kevin Demoff uh, extensively on a conference call before these were released, and we got to see sort of a sneak preview of them. And he, he actually did mention that there was some pretty honest feedback early on from the players when they were seeing concepts. And actually, Andrew Whitworth's really spoke up, and he, he's included a little bit in the piece because he was like, listen, I have a lot of area to cover as an offensive lineman yeah. and I do not want to look massive on TV. I don't want to um, have a uniform. Yeah. I don't want to have a uniform adds 20 pounds situation. And so, which I understand, honestly. <laughs> and, so, and so I was like, I thought that was really interesting because they were being very, very honest with their feedback when they saw them um, as concepts. And then they started getting sent the actual uniforms themselves. And from what I hear, they look really sharp um, in person on cloth. Um, and so I think that they, even if there were players that didn't really kind of get, get it or see it, or maybe they were like, whoa, these are a little much for what we're used to. 
um, when they got them in person, I, I heard that they became very popular um, in that regard because they, they show up a lot better physically and tangibly um, than I think maybe they did in some of the, the artist renderings. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's completely understandable too. I kind of wondered, you know, if you, act, you have them physically in your hands, if it, yeah. they might look a little better. Um, and to kind of wrap up this, uh, th- I mean, there's this quote, this statement I've always thought held merit and I've personally connected with, and it turns out cornerback Troy Hill feels the same way because you mentioned him quoting it in your article. But uh, the statement comes from primetime Deion Sanders. He said, if you look good, you feel good. And if you feel good, you play good. So as long as these players like how they look in these new uniforms, I'm hoping they'll play a little better. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's it for me on that question, Nick. So if you want to go ahead and jump into yours. Yeah. So my first question I want to ask you, Jordan, is uh, Jared Goff related. Um, specifically about his contract. So in 2018, he had career highs in passing yards, touchdowns, led the Rams to the Super Bowl. So the following September, they re-signed him to a four-year, $134 million extension, which included then NFL record $110 million guaranteed. Um, he has an average annual value of $33.5 million, which is actually tied for third amongst quarterbacks with Aaron Rodgers. Um, my first question, this is kind of a two-parter, but my first question is, do you agree with giving Goff the extension before he was done with his rookie deal, given what he had accomplished so far? Yeah, I do agree with that. You you absolutely have to do that. And and a couple of things I do want to point out really quick. That was a great way of, of sort of introing the situation with his contract because it brings up a couple important points. One, when you have a quarterback on a rookie deal and he's a top five to top 10 pick, um, there's an understanding in the negotiation process that not only after, after he's, you know, as he's signing his rookie deal um, and, and configuring a bonus and everything is you, when the big contract comes around, if he does stand up and, and perform the way that um, you would hope that he would and, and that he, he did, he did very well. And, you know, you can't under, overlook that you're not paying him necessarily for, you know, five years down the road, because more likely than not, the five years down the road of that contract will either have been reconfigured to uh, restructure for other contracts to become available, or they will have parted ways, or they will have extended him again. And it kind of depends on his progress. So that back, that very back half money might as well not exist, right? So in the front load part, which we're starting to see right now, which is the super heavy cap hit uh, for the next couple of years, and um, especially the massive initial money, um, you're, you're paying him for what he's already done for you. And that's something that is very dominant among thinking in general managers is you have to compensate him for what he's already done for you. And that's an agreement that you kind of come to as he's signing the rookie contract. And then the other point, and then you hope that he like rises to the contract, right? Like, I think that's the dream for everybody. Right. And so then um, by the time he gets, um, you know, maybe two to three more years down this deal, there are a bunch of young quarterbacks who are going to have a post-collective bargaining agreement um, and inflated cap, salary cap contract. And so Jared Goff's deal will move from third or fourth or whatever it is now, and it will probably actually move 
either outside of or around uh, the 10 spot. And so his, his contract actually depreciates in value every year because of the inflating salary cap year over year. And then also because um, they're, they're probably going to restructure it a ton to make room for other players um, because you, you just have to at this point. And they also have already kind of loaded it up to where they are compensating him for what he's already accomplished for them. It's kind of like, go out and win for us now, we'll pay you later kind of a situation. And so you have, that's, that's kind of what it means when you do sign a guy earlier than letting his contract completely run out. So yes, you really want him to rise to the occasion of the contract. I think I'm with, I speak, um, you know, along the same lines as, as most people who watch Jared Goff and saying that, yes, there is a little ways to go in terms of consistency to rising to the level of that contract. But, um, a contract like that, which is taken care of in a couple of years or a year or two before a new collective bargaining agreement, essentially depreciates like a new car off the lot. And so that's why you saw Russell Wilson negotiating a post-CBA salary, um, because he knew that if he were going to negotiate within the confines of the current CBA, then he was already going to be behind the second that CBA was signed. Does that make sense? Oh, Yeah. yeah. I mean, once you get Patrick Mahomes' contract and right, Dak Prescott's contract, bonkers. it's going to yeah. shoot Murray. up there. I mean, all of these oh, yeah. are going to be insane. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever, and whatever, to your uh, point. Whatever, whatever uh, Trevor Lawrence ends up signing for, whatever, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you know uh, uh, excuse me, Tua Tagovailoa, whatever these guys end up signing for, Joe Burrow, like three years from now, because they're going to want to sign early too. Three yeah. years from now, Jared Goff's going to be like, Back in my day, they only paid us thirty-three million a year. Yeah, right. I was gonna say to your point, they've actually just a couple months ago in April they restructured his deal to free up seven million in cap space. Right. So they're already kind of touching it now and restructuring it a little bit to free up a little bit of space. Right. Um, I think you already answered this, so you don't have to spend a lot of time on it. But I just want to make sure I want to hit on it before I move on. Do you think that Goff? based on that contract that he got, do you think that he was properly compensated or do you think he was overcompensated for, you know, financially speaking? I mean, you, you can't put a ta- a price tag on getting your team to the Super Bowl within the, within the sort of um, window that you have. And so to me, I think he's, he was fairly compensated because again, like I said, you weren't just paying him for, uh, you're not you're not just paying him to rise up to the the level of the contract dollar value, you know, this year, next year, the year after. You're also compensating him for what he has already done for you, making barely any money. So I, I do think it was fair when you when you kind of consider it the way that and, and we always think about it on the outside, think about it in, in a certain way. And so for me, what I always have to do is I have to train my brain to consider it from how they are talking about it in the room when they're, when they're negotiating it. And then in that way, I'm like, okay, I, I get it. <laughs> if you're, if you're, if you're looking at it from that perspective, um, you know, they, they enter it with just a different mindset than we would normally think about it just as people. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, go ahead and uh, get to your next question. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that explanation though, Jordan. I, um, it's a different perspective for me than what I initially thought because I was like, oh, he's overpaid. But now uh-huh. they kind of think ahead and I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, maybe it wasn't that bad of an idea. Uh, all right, I'll jump on to my next question here. Uh, it revolves around the Rams running back situation. So as we know, Todd Gurley's gone. It's here. He's with the Atlanta Falcons now. 
and we are left with some rookie running backs as well as uh, some used to backup running backs. Uh, so the the current depth chart, there's a few running backs I like to talk about, three in particular. Uh, the Rams have a second-year running back in Daryl Henderson, drafted third round 2019 draft out of Memphis. Uh, he hasn't really had the opportunity to prove himself uh, as an NFL-caliber running back yet. Last year, he only had 39 rushing attempts and 147 rushing yards. So I am curious to see what he's capable of bringing this season. Uh, then they have Malcolm Brown, who is the most experienced running back on the team. He will be going into a sixth season as a Ram. And last season, he only had 69 rushing attempts with 255 rushing yards. Uh, in this league, I feel like he's always been that guy that's played that, that role of a backup running back. Uh, he's never really had that every down back or had that leadership role. So I'm interested to see if his experience can elevate him above the rest and maybe give him that starting position. And then last, the Rams went and got a rookie running back in Cam Akers out of Florida State. He was selected 52nd overall in this year's NFL draft. Um, now, I personally don't watch college football too much, but from what I've heard and what I've read, there's a lot of upside around this guy. Unfortunately, due to the coronavirus, rookie camp, offseason programs, they've all been on hold. So I'm curious to see how that might affect him and if it will alter his opportunity for an immediate impact on this team and on the NFL season. So my question to you, do you see the Rams turning into a running back by committee type team, kind of like the 49ers of last season? Or do you see one of these guys emerging as the clear starter as the season progresses? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, I think you're going to see a two back system um, because they want to, they still do want to pass so much. And so when you have two backs and, and this is not to discount Malcolm Brown, I think Malcolm Brown's great. Um, he reminds me a lot of the guy I covered in Carolina, Cameron Artist Payne, who was just a really yeah. dependable, dependable backup um, and, and could come in on some short yardage situations and was also great to have in the locker room and in the running backs room um, as sort of a guiding presence. Um, but I think you're going to see more of a two-back system with Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson because um, – they, they complement each other in, in different ways in the sense that both of them, yes, can, can run downhill, but, and both of them can um, catch passes out of the backfield. But you can have a little bit more of a speed-power combination because Cam Akers um, had very, very much to do with any sort of running success that Florida State had, um, making a lot out of absolutely nothing uh, from that off offensive line. And so I think that if you want to, I, I don't think they're going to quantify it as like a lead back and a secondary back. I think it's going to be very much a two-headed monster, sort of like what you saw Kamara and Ingram do in New Orleans a couple of years ago, because they are, they are similar in the sense that Cam Akers is going to be a great safety valve um, for Jared Goff, not just to help set up the play action that was so desperately missing last year, but yeah. also to, to help establish that rhythm. And then, it's almost like boxing. Like if you're really going to town um, on someone in the corner, 
and it's you're hitting them over and over and over again in the stomach, all of a sudden you want to hit them up high, right? You don't just want to continue to hit them in the ribs or the stomach or whatever. This is super violent. I'm sorry, but like, you're good. <laughs> um, but but you wanna you wanna you wanna do a combination. You can't just go one thing the whole time. You have to do a combination. And so with Daryl Henderson, Daryl Henderson's so shifty. I watched a ton of him because for years they thought, okay, they're gonna bring in a really shifty. Um, like Darren Sproles type to compliment Christian McCaffrey, right? That's that's who I came from covering, and that's what they thought. Well, yeah. they first of all they never did, <laughs> and second of all, <laughs> and second of all, that's such a coveted tandem ever since LT and Sproles back in San Diego. Like that's been such a coveted tandem, and one that the Saints sort of started to really um, unearth and, and kind of hit a gold mine on until you know Mark Ingram's contract came up, and so. It's, it's really interesting because if you have a speed power combination where not only you have a guy in cam who can establish the rhythm on the ground first and foremost, and then help set up the play action, that's step two, because they are going to be passing so much. And then you have them both as safety valves, not just who can be a check down option and help Goff a little bit get into his own rhythm in the passing game, um, but also they add extra layers for a defense to account for. Um, it, it's just going to be really, really interesting. I think specifically using those two in tandem like that, because they can both do, um, similar things, but they do it in different ways. And what I mean by that is Cam Akers is extremely patient as a runner and he understands how to create space, um, in the passing game. And he also understands how to make, create those yards after the catch. Daryl Henderson is like twitchy and elusive and shifty. And so if you get him the ball, um, First of all, you want him running routes out of the backfield. And second of all, if you get him the ball, um, he's going to make guys miss. He's going to create extra space. He's going to force guys to run um, horizontally, which can really, really wear a defense out, especially if then if you're then going to go vertical with your, with your passing attack after that. So it's really, really important for these guys to be similar but complementary. And I think Sean McVay is kind of like salivating, thinking about what he can do with both of them. <laughs> No, that's awesome. Uh, I know we only got you for a couple more minutes, so I'll pass the next question over to Nick and then get things wrapped up. Yeah, I'll uh, we'll wrap up. Uh, we'll ask. I'll ask you this last one, and then we'll let you go. Um, I want to ask you kind of about the importance of Cooper Cup. There seems to be mm-hmm. a se- a section of fans that think Cooper Cup is really important and a vital piece of the offense, and then there's another section of Rams fans that think that yeah, he's a nice wide receiver, but if we let him walk, it's not that big of a deal. So, you know, he tore his ACL in 2018 and came back last season, had a phenomenal year, uh, led the NFL in receiving yards from the slot, uh, tied with Julian Edelman catches in the slot. Um, I personally think he's a huge factor in the offense, and I would point to the Super Bowl performance where the team only scored three points and he wasn't out there as kind of my my biggest Mm -hmm. reason why. But I'm curious, I want to know your opinion with his contract being up after this season and the team still needing to re-sign Jalen Ramsey would you make Cooper Cup a priority or would you be okay with letting him walk yeah I think they both are priorities Ramsey and and Cup I think both of them are uh and and the timing will probably be staggered on that just because it's really hard they're gonna have to restructure a bunch of uh, probably Aaron Donald's contract to fit that in but um you know Cooper Cup Part of, part of what makes him so valuable is the fact that he has developed such a good rapport um, with Jared Goff. And they are very clearly married to Jared Goff long-term. Uh, the money shows you that. And so 
you have a guy who is is sort of like um a, if if Goff is like the heartbeat of your offense then Cooper Cup is one of the lungs right because they work very much in tandem they do different things but they work very much in tandem to keep things functioning and the other fact is that Cooper Cup can line up pretty much anywhere and and have success um if you see teams with number one receivers that only do one thing, uh, usually you don't have a, a lot of layers. You have to really work to add other layers into your offense. With Cooper Cup, you can bring in a, a variety of complementary re- receivers, and you can do a lot of different things and sort of orbit your receivers and your running backs around center um, in, a, in a way that's very, very hard to game plan for. Um, you know, I think he's consistent and I think that you pay consistency in this league. If you have a quarterback who, um, very much benefits from having consistency around him, uh, like I believe Goff does, then you, you really need to have sort of your steady presence, um, in that regard. So yeah, I think he's going to be a priority contract. Um, he's one of those guys where like you, you definitely don't want him to run out the last year of his contract because of his value to you and your organization, but I could also even potentially see him as a tag candidate next year um, or next league year, pardon. But I do think, I mean, I think, I think he gets paid and I think Jalen, he and Jalen Ramsey both get paid and it might be staggered. um, But, but I do think both of them get their money from the Rams. I hope so. I hope you're right. I think both of them are, are really important. Uh, members of the team and especially for Jalen Ramsey you're going to trade all those first round picks for him you better sign him long term right um so Jordan I know you have to go uh we really appreciate your time thank you for spending a little bit with us and giving us some insight um I really appreciate it before we let you go can you give us a heads up on where we can find your work where we can find you on social media yeah absolutely and first and foremost thank you guys so much for having me on and Thanks to, uh, I, I've seen this hashtag. I'm sorry if I get it wrong, but the Ramily. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, for, you're good. Yeah, thank you for such a warm welcome. Um, it's been such an incredible welcome, and I really appreciate it. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jordan Rodrigue, J-O-U-R-D-A-N-R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E. And you can find my work over at The Athletic. We are still running our 90-day free trial. Um, oh, awesome. And if anyone needs help with that, you can, I'm pretty responsive on Twitter. So you can just shoot me a note and, or shoot me an email. And, um, I'm, I'm just really grateful, really looking forward to covering this team. Great. Yeah. I'm sure once the season gets started, uh, I'm sure we'll hit you up again and we'll try and steal a little bit more of your time. Thanks guys. Really appreciate it. <laughs>